Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Chris. And I'm Gary. And this week we are discussing a film that I was so excited to watch. I was adamant that I was going to love it and I didn't and I'm really disappointed. Yeah. Uh, it's Abel Ferreira's Fear City. Yeah, from uh, 1984. From 1984. And, um, yeah, just, uh, really disappointed. I mean... I don't, I don't want to make this a sombre podcast episode, but, you know, when you just, you know, you watch the trailer, you see the cast, you see the posters, and you're like, this is my thing. This is it. I, I cannot wait. And I chose this film to cover. I bought Gary the DVD because I knew that he would love it too. And it would be wonderful. And we would sit here and we would discuss how great this film is and how much fun it was. And it was it was nothing of the sort. I mean, you could even hope for a trash to piece, but no, I didn't even get that. No, no. Um, we'll get into why. <laughs> there's many reasons why, but there's one very clear <laughs> reason why I'm disappointed. Well, I mean, the Warner Science should have been there because directed by Abel Ferrara, who, of course, is the director of Bad Lieutenant, King of New York, New Rose Hotel, Blackout, Driller Killer, Miss 45, The Addiction, Snake Eyes, Body Snatchers, Siberia, at Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy, and more. We've watched a fair few of his films. Yeah. And it's been inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Some of them we've really liked. Yeah. King of New York is fantastic. And some of them we've we've actually hated. Yeah. I... I this is one of them. This me. is one of them. I think Driller Killer's awful. <laughs> I thought The Addiction was really bad. Siberia. Ugh. Um, but then there's the... Miss 45 I've seen, which was quite good, just before this film. Um, so I, I had, I didn't have massive, I didn't think we were going to get a masterpiece, but I thought I was going to be entertained for an hour yeah. and a half. I mean, how do you, I mean, there's other films that have proven that with a premise like this, you shouldn't be able to go wrong. Like, I mean, look at The Fan, look at uh, Tent of Midnight, you know, really... A films where a twink's going around New York killing people whilst an over-the-top cop's going after them. Good formula. Yeah, yeah. It, it is something we have seen before. And I, I, it was written by Nicholas St. John. Yes. And I think Abel Ferreira, he writes the majority of his films. Well, Nicholas St. John also did uh, King of New York. Uh, Body Snatchers, oh, okay. Snake Eyes, The Addiction, Miss 45. Oh, so they've uh, worked together. Yeah, even oh. on Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. Oh, okay. Uh, he also did The Funeral and China Girl. Right, okay, so there's no excuse. No. No. <laughs> Abel Ferreira is to blame, <laughs> at Do least partly. Do you think this is better or worse than Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy? I've no idea. I've never seen Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. Uh, budget and the box office... Numbers are unknown. Oh, okay. It was drastically reedited before its release because of the MPAA rating board's strict guidelines on graphic violence, language, and nudity at that point in time. Edits are most noticeable during the film's many jump cuts, specifically the attacks on the strippers by the unnamed killer, 
of any scenes featuring kissing between Loretta and Layla. Yes. Ultimately, it caused uh, its original distributor, 20th Century Fox, to sell the film to independent distributor Aquarius Releasing for a theatrical release. 20th Century Fox made this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not too surprised. It's not that far removed from a slasher film. No. You know, it's... I'd say it is a slasher early film. Early 80s. It, yeah, I think it's a slasher film. It's early 80s. Slasher films were big. The premise is interesting. The premise lends itself to uh, a, a fun time, mm-hmm. a interesting time, and it could have said something or it could have yep. done something, and it, it didn't. And I can't, there there was a TV version as well with like yeah. all the violence and nudity cut out. Imagine how boring that was. I know. Imagine how tedious that was. Fucking hell. Because this was bad enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the problem is, um, you know, as we say on the podcast, every time there's a film with notable nudity in it, you know, we're, we're all for, um, you know, we're obviously pro-sex here. And if a woman wants to get a close-up in the film, it's her choice. And that's absolutely wonderful. But here it just feels so sleazy and not in a oh sleazy New York fun way either it's just straight up sleazy because when you pair it with the misogynistic dialogue the entire film just feels misogynistic and characters are literally just reduced to a pair of tits yeah yeah and we'll 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 get into that we will get into that but it is you know the premise is strippers in New York are murdered yeah it's similar as that, or um, exotic dancers, mm. um, but you know, the women who are paid to take their clothes off in clubs—they're mm-hmm. being killed. Yeah, you know that slasher one hundred and one. Yeah, of course. It's it's interesting. It's sleazy New York. I love that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I love films in New set in New York, particularly yeah. the the sort of seedier side of New York. And, um, yeah, I, I thought we were going to have a good time, and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Even with the cast. Speaking like, this of... is a great cast as well. And uh, we'll discuss it in a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. Tom Berenger plays Matt Rossi. Okay, yeah. He was in Platoon, Inception, The Big Chill, Major League, The Sentinel, Training Day, Sil- uh, Sliver... Faster, uh, as good as dead, and more. Okay, so yeah, um, I don't think I've seen many of his films, Is but I, I knew age? him. I knew him. Uh yeah, best supporting actor for Platoon. Yeah, there's like two, which would have been after this. Two or three Oscar nominated actors in this film. Yeah, there are. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with him because I mean her performance. It's not good, girls. It's not. It's not. Uh, also, fun fact, the killer has no name in the film. and isn't even listed in the credits to keep that element of mystery there. Okay. Um, Which, I mean, would have been interesting. If it was. A... <laughs> uh, Billy Z. Williams plays Detective Al Wheeler. Uh, he does. He is, of course, known for The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, Batman, The Lego Batman Movie, The Lego Movie, Code of Horror, Lady Sings the Blues, Dynasty, and more. 
Yeah. Um, plays against type here. Well, I mean, realistically, he plays a racist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, filthy mouth. Absolutely filthy. The things that come out of Billy Dee Williams' he, he mouth. Does not like Italians. If you're if you're a big Star Wars fan, you'll be shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you're if you're Italian in New York City, nineteen eighty four. Don't come across Billy Dee Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that's thrown out there and not dealt with. It's one of those things that's very much. It's nineteen eighty four, and the only black character is speaking like that. To, uh... Yeah, and th- this is the thing, and it, the film is made in nineteen eighty four, and I I think it's something that we bring up a lot in podcast episodes is that we know that when films are made, it's different times. We understand that. Yeah. But, you know, we're not saying that this kind of depiction of women or this kind of depiction of racism or misogyny shouldn't exist. We're not we're not sat here saying that. We what we want is for it to be dealt with properly. Mm. So the the fact that the Billy D. Williams carp is says a lot of you know slurs against Italians. Well, what does that mean? Mm. What why is that? Why why is a cop acting that way? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we shouldn't it shouldn't exist because it probably did exist. Yeah. It it's probably a real thing that happened at that time and so on till today. You know, we're not saying that this kind of behaviour isn't real. What we want to know is why is it happening? And we want a proper resolution to it. Yeah. Spoiler alert, it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just a kind of, this is it, shock value. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, and we, we're not... We are, you know, lefty liberals. But we, we're not going to say this shouldn't happen we just want it to happen for a reason mm. you know in in terms of films in terms of films yeah. that's what films are meant yeah. to do uh, Jack Scalia plays Mickey Pazano and he is in Lady Boss The Rift All My Children Dallas Red Eye Chronicle of a Serial Killer The Dog Who Saved the Holidays Jersey Shore Shark Attack and more yeah yeah, okay. <laughs> Probably the most sort of B-movie actor. Yeah. And spoiler alert, he kind of gets forgotten by the, forgotten by the end. <laughs> Melanie Griffith, the absolute icon that is Melanie Griffith, plays Loretta. And of course, she's known for Working Girl, Something Wild, Body Double, Mulholland Falls, Disaster Artist, Cecil B. Demented, Pacific Heights, and more. Yeah, Melanie Griffith, one of our faves. Mm-hmm. Um, we've loved her performances in so many films. We've loved some of our favourite films she's been the star of. Yeah. It's a shame, really. It is, because she just she's one of those actresses. She just oozes cool, like, yeah. effortlessly. She's just amazing. And this is, what, two years removed from Something Wild? Yeah. Yeah, and, and here, Crazy. you know, she looks incredible, of course. She's always serving a look. Um, but 
she's just given nothing to go with. She's got she's got nothing to do. You know, I I said a lot of the women in this film are reduced to just a pair of tits, and Melanie Griffith's no exception. It's true. It, it's, it is uh, true. Her, her entire storyline is just incredibly insulting where it goes. Yeah. Uh, Michael V. Garzo plays Mike. Oscar nominee for The Godfather Part 2. He was in The Last Action Hero. Fingers, Nothing to Lose. Cannonball Run 2. Alligator, Body and Soul, and more. Yeah, another Oscar nominee who turns in a fucking shocking performance here. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing a bit of a stereotype. Hey, I'm walking here. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Um. Yeah, it's, just, it's not good. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, unless you have anyone else. Yeah, Ray Dawn Chong plays um, uh, Layla Leela. When yeah. was it ever pronounced in the film? Layla. Layla. Yeah. Um. So she was in the Color Purple, Commando, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, Quest for Fire, Soul Man. Yeah, crying freedom. So she was she was a bit of a famous face, as well. Ola Ray, so Ola Ray was the um, Michael Jackson's girlfriend in the Thriller video. Uh, oh, yeah, of course she is. Yeah, that's where I recognise her uh-huh. from. Maria Conchita Alonso, uh, she was in The Running Man, Predator Two, uh, The Lords of Salem. She's um, she was a guest judge on the episode season five of Drag Race oh. with the um, Spanish telenovela challenge. Okay. I just remember, I did. That's how I remember her. <laughs> no one else was a judge on Drag Race. <laughs> Should we talk about our feature presentation? Yes, please. Billy D. Williams is the man. A killer's loose on his streets. You want to tell me about the little girl who got hurt last night? And they're the next targets. He's got a city full of suspects. So you're tough. And the heat's on in Fear City. You've got 24 hours. Tom Berenger and Billy D. Williams in Fear City. Very positive start. Opening credits with New York Doll by David Johansson uh, and a montage of New York City alongside footage of the girls dancing in the club. It's like, okay, I'm in. This is it. This is what we wanted. It's set in the scene. It's very, very 80s. It's showing us the side of New York that I find so interesting. Um, I, I'm invested. I'm yeah. in. Yeah, I'm like, okay. We're, there in, we're then introduced to best friends Matt Rossi and Nikki Pazeno, who run a management company, Starlight Entertainment, for Manhattan's best exotic dancers, managing and booking their clients into clubs across the borough. So Melanie Griffith is the star attraction Loretta. She is. And uh, she's given us a performance in and out of a... Stunning, sparkly, asymmetrical dress mm-hmm. with a long glove. Sequins on it. Sequins. It sparkles. Her hair is very 80s. 
I'm loving it. The, the interesting part of the premise that I didn't realise is that Matt Rossi and Nikki Parzano, they're running a management company. I thought it was a club. Yeah. But they run a management company where they provide exotic dancers for the clubs. Yeah, which is owned by Mike. Yeah, but then also other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, the Mike is the, the main one, and that's yeah. the main one that we get. So these women are, in many ways, their product. Yeah. They're, they're selling these women. And it, I don't like it. No, I don't like that it because is all it's, it comes across as because in the that's film. all it comes across. There's These women are commodities. Yeah, and you know, obviously, again, we're pro sex work, so that you know that's absolutely fine. But the thing is, this is a film we're watching. This is a film. This this isn't real life, and. If you're gonna have these women reduced to just items that you're gonna sell, then at least give them a bit of fucking character development, or you know, give them something to do. But there's nothing. No, there's there's nothing at all. We find out that Rossi was once um so, what's the name Matt? They call Matt. him Matty. Matt. Matty. I think I just Matt, him Matt Rossi. Him. He was once in a relationship with Loretta, but they broke up because Rossi's memories of accidentally killing an opponent in the ring during his days as a professional boxer, have left him emotionally barren. And it doesn't let us forget those it memories It does either. not let us forget. So he gets the most character development. Mm-hmm. He We get this fucking story over and over and mm-hmm. over again. It mm-hmm. plays into the conclusion of the film. We get it. Yeah. We get it. it. Is, uh, and there's a lot of bad things about this film, but it is by far one of the worst things about this film. It, it really is, because it takes away... From everything else, because it's I don't now I've I've said it on the podcast before. I struggle with men's stories. I do, I do. A lot of the time, I don't care. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's women's stories that I'm interested in. Yeah. So all this backstory and character development for this guy that I don't really care about mm-hmm. is taken away from the development of the women yeah. who I think should have should be the heart of the film. Mm-hmm. So this, what's the old man's name? Mike. Mm-hmm. So Mike owes them money. They go to visit him. And uh, he says, Hey, Maddie, I need to know before I die, what was it like to shack up with her? Yeah. And he's like, Hey, I'll give my lonely nut to pay for this club. <laughs> <laughs> and they let him off until Friday. They all have a drink together. They do. Um, we then see one of the dancers, Honey Powers. Honey Powers. Honey Powers, which is a great name, by it the is. way. Uh, this is Ola Ray, isn't it? Yeah. This is Ola Ray. So she, she's not in the film much. Uh, she's grabbed and stabbed in an alleyway as uh, Loretta completes her dance. So we get intercut between a woman being highly sexualized and a woman being attacked. Yeah. See what I'm going see? Yeah. Yeah. So Loretta, she still cares for Matt, but she's moved on to a relationship with a pretty young dancer named Layla. Matt isn't best pleased, as we see, as he wants Loretta back. Mm-hmm. Um, but surprisingly, not in a homophobic way. Well, do you know why? Because this film doesn't even treat this like she's bisexual. Like, 
it's it's so weird to say, obviously, because we see her in a relationship with a woman, and it's not, it's not like we're getting big X rated, um, you know, girl on girl sex scenes, but at the same time, the way they just throw away this relationship, it's like okay. That was in there just so you could include a same-sex kiss for the straight male audience out there because there's no way... Which was cut by the MPA. Which was cut anyway. Um, Yeah, like two strippers in a relationship and there's a scene where they kiss and one of them's topless in bed. Come on. Um, Oh, how cynical, Gary. Well, I'm sorry. There is absolutely no heart or anything put into this relationship at all. No, it, it is... Yeah, a throwaway sort of thing. Mm. Um, you, you just know Abel Ferrara is like, oh, a woman in a relationship with a woman. That's going to get me some books at the box office. And that's, you know, that's what the film's about. It's TNA, really, ultimately. Uh, Matt and Nikki, they find out about Honey and go to visit her in the hospital. We find out that the assailant had cut off her fingers with large scissors. Um, which we find out in a flashback. Uh, Matt has one of his flashbacks regarding the boxing match uh, with very, you know I don't like this, very liberal use of Mm slow-mo. Fucking hate it. Um, Essentially, he just, the match went on too far and he kept punching him and the guy died. Like, Like, that's it. There's no other way about it. That's it. Uh, Rossi and Parenzo immediately suspect rival promoter Lou Goldstein, but he vehemently denies any involvement. So, a big part is, uh, later on in the film, but throughout, is that Rossi and Parenzo, they kind of act like they own these women. And then mm-hmm. Lou Goldstein, he has his women. Yeah. And they all kind of own these women. Mm-hmm. And, I don't it feels like, Pimping? It, yeah. It's... Had they originally wrote the film as prostitutes? What was the last film we discussed where they had um, a strip club? And they had a really ridiculous name. Um, but the representation was actually really good. Uh, We've discussed a few. Strip to Kill. Yeah, it wasn't... Strip to, strip to Kill just fall into that category. This was this year. Um, on the podcast, film? yeah, it was another eighties film, and I distinctly remember it was. Um, There's some really good dance scenes in it. Okay, and I swear someone of note was in it as well. Um, striptease, striptease, of course, striptease. yeah, striptease. Now, I mean, striptease. Look at the representation in that compared to this. But it, the thing is... It wasn't the 80s, it was 90s. It was 90s. But striptease was about her being a stripper. Yeah. But this this very much should have been... They could have done that with Melanie Griffith's character. They could have. Like, they've got her there. She's all over the poster. Her name's on the poster. You know, you're going to make her a silent point of your film. Then at least fucking do something with her. Yeah, see, th- this is the issue. This is the issue. It's not that these women are... Exotic dancers. The the it's not that they're not strippers. No. You know, we've seen it in films strip to kill, striptease, like Gary said, where the representation has been great, 
we've been 100% invested in them and we're like yeah fantastic you know being an exotic dancer does not make you less than the problem with this film is that these women are just commodities yeah. they're just there we get some cheap TNA in the film but none of them get any development I'm surprised they get names yeah like a lot of them a lot of the women who are attacked actually thinking about it aren't, don't even get names mm. don't even get their names uh, it's just that's the problem it's not actually that rep the representation is bad it's, a, it's non-existent yeah so Vice Detective Al Wheeler, Billy D. Williams, is put on the case, displaying nothing but contempt towards Rossi and his colleagues and their occupation, and convinced that they know more than they're letting on. Some great dialogue within the sequence. Um, some of my favourites being, talk to me, little boy. And I didn't come in here to get jerked off. And uh, I'll close your business if you don't keep pussy off your bar. Uh, Billy D. Williams has a fucking foul, ironically, has a fucking foul mouth in this film. Yeah. Really, if it, if you know him only for Lando, you're gonna get sharks. Great, I mean it's Billy D. Williams. Exactly. Yeah. Interestingly, he does refer to Honey as little girl. He does. That little girl that was attacked. Um. Now I see that as two meanings. Is it Al Wheeler being protective? Or is it Al Wheeler being condescending? I think it's him being protective because his big thing is he doesn't agree with the strip clubs and yeah, so on. Blames the men for it. Yeah, and he's in many ways an antagonist mm -hmm. for maybe caring about the women. Yeah, again, it, it's mean, not. It we're just you know we're throwing ideas out there because the film doesn't deal with it. It's um, just this is Billy D. Williams swearing. Yeah, a lot. In between scenes, we get uh, two guys walking past another character in the stream. Like, hey, you should give me a two for one. What's a two for one? Exactly. That's what I got in my notes. Oh. <laughs> uh, Layla finds an old photo of Loretta and Matt in Loretta's drawer. And we see Matt watch Loretta perform before he offers her a lift home, which she accepts, despite mm -hmm. her promising to pick up Layla on the way home. This is a very slow uh, topless dance to feels like it's going to be good this time by Patrick Adams and girl just fucking work like she is giving it her all yeah um, we watched the cut version of this scene apparently there's another version where she's like spreading her legs and she's just really going for it proper and, serve yeah Loretta explains that Matt should have talked to her more during their relationship to which he replies, sometimes there aren't the words. <laughs> and I, and it, this is fucking frustrating because Matt has a whole backstory mm -hmm. and all we've learned about Loretta is she can't get out of bed without a coffee first. Yeah. Like, this is all we've learned about her. Yes, mm -hmm. she's in a relationship with Layla, but in terms of who she is, all we have learned about Loretta so far is that she can't get out of bed without a coffee first. Yeah. And she says it to Layla. She says, um, you know, I, you know, I can't get out of bed without a coffee. Oh, so annoying. And just, I thought this, um, Loretta promising to pick up Layla on the way home is something 
that I needed to remember. Because mm. I've seen enough films to know. Technically it is. Impending doom. But not in terms of the film, though. Yeah, it is. This is when she gets attacked. Exactly. But does Loretta actually mention the fact that she was meant to pick her up? Yeah. Which would have prevented yeah, the attack. Yeah. Well, does oh, she no. actually... No, 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 she doesn't regret it. No. She doesn't say, oh, There's no development there. So, as as we've just spoiled, Layla is uh, attacked by the unknown stalker and is hospitalised with severe injuries, leaving Rossi and Parenzo's clients unwilling to work for fear of being targeted. But this sequence uh, in the subway, it's the first time of a few times that we see the killer in full. Yeah. Uh, again, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, he's very much a twink killer in the style of Ten to Midnight, uh, except he's clothed for some of the scenes in this. Yeah. Um, and he does karate. <laughs> he does. Uh, I mean, he slashes at her forehead, um, various other parts of her body, and in between... We were like a razor, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, in between slashing her, he does these fucking karate poses, and he looks like a Fucking moron. But it is so camp. It is unbelievable. It is very camp. I don't even notice the intention. I really no. thought, I thought he was doing something here. Yeah. Um, but it is high camp. It it does. And it's a shame, really, because obviously this is a distressing scene. Yeah. But I couldn't help but giggle because the guy looks like a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was there for it. For the camp value, but I also said like, uh, I don't think this is what the film was intending for me to start laughing at this. And then after the scene, he starts doing a fucking voiceover like, I slashed her in the subway station, and then I showed him my moves or whatever. And it's like, fucking, oh my god, what is this guy? What? What? Why is he? <laughs> I like that this element of mystery to a killer in a film. That's great, you know. We all love Black Christmas, but I mean. <laughs> It just doesn't work. But the film's meant to be giving him a reason for this. The thing is with Black Christmas is there wasn't really a reason for it. Which made it even scarier. Which was the intention. what's his reason? He hates women. So he has... So the movie spends some time throughout the film showing the killer, who's a young man with a cold expression on his face. He's writing about his attacks in a book that he calls Fear City. And uh, he's going through a lot of martial arts routines and an abandoned loft or wherever he is. And he has uh, human anatomy posters on his walls. Later on, he goes on this rant, voiceover rant about um, sort of filthy women and mm. how they don't mean anything. So it's it's definitely from a place of misogyny. Yeah, The target is the women themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's just sort of... Yeah. Yeah. That that's it. Do do with that information what you will, audience, because mm-hmm. we ain't gonna help you. Um, the doctors note that the slashes to um, Layla's uh, to Layla avoided any potential lethal arteries or organ areas, um, with the intention of a slow, painful death. What I found interesting is that the doctor speaks to Matt and Nikki about Layla's injuries. As if they were her family. Yeah. They're not, though. No. They are her employers. So it's... And I don't think it's deliberate, but 
the idea is that the doctor would speak to them, that they would need the information mm-hmm. about Layla's attack and not her family members yeah. or Loretta, who she is in a relationship with, mm-hmm. but it's her employer. I mean, yeah. could you imagine? I know, yeah. This is the part where I'm thinking these women, they're commodities. Yeah. And, which is interesting, but the film also treats them as a commodity. Yeah. Nikki goes over some old newspaper clippings of the boxing incident. <sighs> oh, we get it. And we have another flashback. Again, really? I, I put in my notes. Why so much of this backstory and fuck all on the women? Mm-hmm. Matt confronts Goldstein directly. Was that, the, uh, was that another boxing flashback? Yeah, another okay, boxing okay. flashback. Not, not the, uh... okay, cool. not the not, boxing not, flashback. Not the... Uh... Sophia and Golden Girls having a flashback to when she was in Sicily. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, not quite. That's coming up. Uh, Matt confronts Goldstein directly. And, yeah, because we needed more of this and and less of Loretta. uh, Rossi and Loretta slowly begin to rekindle their relationship. I say slowly. They shag on the sofa. Yeah. Uh, This is what I meant earlier on. Okay, at the end of the day, her fucking girlfriend is in hospital, you know, she should she should be distraught, she should be concerned about her, but no, she fucking jumps straight back into bed with him. Yeah. And that's why it's like, okay, what was that relationship in there for? What was it there for? For cheap TNA, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Because, yeah, Matt and Loretta, they go to visit Layla and then go off together. And Matt gives Loretta a spinning thing. What was that? Some sort of jewellery oh, or something. A fucking spinning thing with I love you on it. As a, It says I love you. It's for her birthday. And then they get it on, on the sofa, to a very 80s saxophone soundtrack. And Loretta says, I'm not going to regret it, am I, Matt? And I, I just put in my notes, are we meant to be invested in this relationship? And she's cheating on Layla, who's yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. It's not the representation for women. It's just fucking awful. Wheeler begins to suspect that the attacks may not be gang-related, but instead the work of a single person. How many women are going to die before, you know, mm. he realised that... Like, he's, he's so caught up in his hatred for the business... And the potential gang-related nature of the business. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But again, not dealt with. Yeah. I mean, another dancer is killed in her apartment. Again, another dancer. She has no name. Yeah. She's in her own apartment. Um, this is Maria Conchita Alonso. Yeah. Which causes Matt to wake up with a nosebleed. Yeah. A telekinetic connection now. Going on. And this is when we get the, the flashback that looked exactly I right. actually just just to go back a little bit, I actually quite like the shot of the killer hiding in her apartment. Yeah. Um with the sort of that neon light, mm-hmm. which I love in these sort of films. I really like Crimes of Passion, um all of these films. I love that sort of neon lighting that comes yeah. from all the signs outside. I did actually think that was an interesting shot actually quite like that but then we do we do get the um 
Sophia reminiscing about New York. <laughs> that is exactly what it looks it's like. It's exactly. It has the production value of that. It it's does. ridiculous. Excuse me. Gone Girls had a massive production value. Thank you. Yes, so Matt has a flashback to shining shoes as a child and witnessing a mafia hit. And, uh... <laughs> Why? Why do we have to get this backstory? Because all this does is introduce and explain another character, like another yeah. man, completely pointless mm-hmm. character. Because um, we still only know that Loretta likes a coffee in the morning and mm-hmm. she may have been a drug addict. There was a slight reference to her maybe having uh, been a drug addict, yeah. which does play into next because Layla dies. Okay. No, she didn't just die. Loretta goes to the hospital yeah. to visit her when a bunch of doctors rush past her in a very comical way. They rush past her and uh, they rip Layla's top open, expose her breasts. Which which is how it's done. She would be wearing a bra. Well, no, she's in the hospital. Well, yeah. But, but this film, hun, I don't think it's Yeah, no, no, realism. no, exactly. No, but that that is how it is. Yeah. She, w- she would have to be bare-chested for them to resuscitate her. That's fine. We didn't need to see We it. didn't need the close-up. Yeah. We'd, we didn't need that. Yeah, because this is for She's dying. Like, who's yeah. going to get off on that? We, we, don't, we don't need the realism. We don't need the zoom-in on her bare chest while she's being resuscitated. Yeah. Like, who is that for? Yeah. Um, and yeah, she dies. She she, does. she, she just dies. And... Well, the doctor says, after some mild efforts to resuscitate yeah. it, forget it. Yeah. Like, forget it. Uh, forget it. It's a bit like how the film treated the character, forget yeah. it. Yeah. And every woman. Um. So she, so Loretta now goes on a bit of a downward spiral of drug addiction, which kind of writes her out the film for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So she shows up, she gets her boobs out, she cheats on her girlfriend who's dying in hospital. Yeah. And then she becomes a drug addict. Yeah, and then she's just and then for the rest of the film until the very end, she's just looking rough. Yeah. In her home as a as a drug addict, and that that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Um then we get a real oh. nasty scene of Fat shaming. Um, so this, I feel, is meant to be comic relief. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't sit very well. And I don't suppose it would have sat very well in 1984. I don't, I don't know. No, but well. Mike is... and Because all the dancers are cancelling, then uh, Mike uh, is given a dancer that's maybe not up to his perceived standards. Um... He's unsatisfied with the dancer for that evening as she's not conventionally attractive. Um, some of the dialogue. Oh. Yeah, he says. Uh, oh, God. He says, she's so ugly it hurts my eyes. She couldn't give a heart onto a rapist. I'm like, are you fucking serious? The, and... the poor actress, by the way. I know, yeah. Poor actress. Why, why would she agree to this? Yeah. So, you know, this the state of roles for women back mm. in the 80s. And he, he calls up um, Nikki and he's like, that fat pig today, I ain't, I'm not asking for any pinup girl here, but give me a break. You sent me a stink. I'll kill that fat someone, put her out of her misery. 
Yeah, so because she's so unattractive and she's booed for the whole thing. Yeah. She's not really responding to the booze, though. No. She just keeps dancing. That's definitely added in post-production. Yeah. Um, he threatens to kill her to put her out of her misery because she's so ugly. And this is a tale as old as time. It literally, this is it's back to the cavemen. Uh-huh. This story of ugly old men defining what women should look like mm-hmm. is beyond infinity. Is when we were tiny little specks of dust in the universe, there was some ugly old man who'd let himself go, telling a woman. That she mm. wasn't allowed to look a certain kind of yeah. way. And it's fucking annoying. And it, the fact that it's played for comic relief. And the fact that this man is so insulted that he would threaten to kill her. Mm-hmm. And this is comic relief in the film. Ugh. Yeah. What mm-hmm. a load of shit. Just, it felt so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable watching that scene. Yeah. Really. And uh, it was a beautiful woman as well. She, because she wasn't stick thin. No. We had to have this comic relief scene of a woman being treated awfully in a film about women being treated awfully, mm-hmm. told from the perspective of men. This yep. whole film, this whole film, and I know it's directed and written by men, mm-hmm. but men have directed and written films about women with nuance and yeah. with you know actually feeling like they'd met a woman once or twice but this film is totally told from the perspective of men it gives no development to any of the female characters it feels like it does but it doesn't mm-hmm. it treats women awfully it's a film about women being treated awfully yeah. but it, it doesn't it's the film is about women being treated awfully, but it doesn't feel like it's about women being treated awfully because mm-hmm. it doesn't deal with the fact of women being treated awfully. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. and it's and a scene like this, I I was I was kind of I lost my investment then. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, this isn't the one. So we then get one of Goldstein's dancers. She's murdered in the park. Isn't she? She is with uh, no no name. Oh, nunchucks. Now this was cut, I think, from UK because the UK had a big thing about nunchucks. Like, but like teenage uh, mutant ninja turtles, Mm -hmm. they it was a no no as well. Mm -hmm. The the UK had a huge thing. I'm not sure why. I don't know if there was a specific incident, Uh, but the UK had a huge thing about banning nunchucks. Um, so she's killed in the park, another camp moment, unintentionally camp moment. Uh, Parenzo and Goldstein reach an agreement to provide secure, to provide security and transportation for their dancers. Yeah, because they didn't need that before. <laughs> because <laughs> how, how long did it take? Yeah. Uh, the killer starts writing in his book titled Fear City about... Ah, about these whores and worthless lives that he has ended. Yeah, he also starts practising his martial arts whilst naked and is lost. He does. Um, 
favorite naked killer from an eighties? Ten to midnight. Ten to midnight. Um, not this guy. Not pieces. Was he naked? Always randomly got his cock out of the window. Do you remember that one? Oh. We need to rewatch pieces. Um, yeah. Nikki spots a guy in Goldstein's club with a razor in his blazer pocket. He and Goldstein get a dancer to lead him into the kitchen. Again, a woman's just used to lead a guy into a kitchen. Uh-huh. And they end up fighting with him, and Matt shows up and starts beating the guy up when Nikki realises he's not the killer because he only arrived in Chicago that day. Why are we getting this yeah. scene? I don't really care um they call him a pervert which is so hypocritical like surely he's the reason you're still in business like calling them calling him a pervert is that not going against best business practices Mm. (laughs) it it would be like working in a restaurant yeah, that mm. sells deep fire, deep fried everything, and then, you know, fat shaming someone, and you're like, uh-huh. don't be stupid. Yeah, you know, if he if he's a pervert, then what are you? Mm-hmm. You you have some sort of moral high ground here, I don't think. Yeah. Um. After another dancer is decapitated by a sword, Rossi and Parenzo's business is left effectively destitute. Such a shame for them. This, <laughs> this death, like this, the killer just pops out the side of a street and decapitates this woman. Yeah, like, he just puts his sword out. I mean, that's very good um, guessing as to where her head's gonna be, and it's also very good guessing that he's gonna get the right person that he wants to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's making sure it's the right. Yeah, um, and he's doing this out in public. Yeah, and no one's seeing. Um, New York in the 80s apparently. apparently So Matt has another Longer flashback After learning of the decapitation This time in very Slow motion mm-hmm. He's seen reprimanding the referee For not stopping the match Yeah, And I just thought is this meant to Be a way of getting us on his side like, yeah, It wasn't this, his fault The referee should have stopped it Yeah oh. Yeah, the entire film's his film, and we're meant to feel sorry for him, and we're meant to root for him, but I couldn't give a shit about him. And the women are just there. Yeah. While Matt is harshly interrogated by the detective, Parenzo and his girlfriend Ruby are ambushed by the killer. They manage to fend him off long enough for help to arrive, but Pazano is severely injured (laughs) and hospitalised in the process. I don't care. I, I genuinely don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, hungry for vengeance and seeking guidance, Rossi visits a local mafioso named Carmine. <laughs> they were called Carmine. Which <clears throat> Uncle Carmine from um, oh, uh, First Wives Club, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> with whom he's built a uh, a code of silence many years ago. Fucking boring. I don't care. Like, it, it, the sequence is so boring. So we had... So the, the code of silence... So Carmine was the guy that shot the two men that he was cleaning the shoes of. Mm-hmm. Yeah? That he witnessed. So they've kept a sort of relationship of sort. Not, not that kind of relationship. Um, a code of silence... 
So he's helped him out over the years because he hasn't ratted him out to the police. Anyway. Again, why? <laughs> whose side are we meant to be on? <laughs> um, so we got this scene earlier and now we have this scene. And I don't care. Yeah. I just, I don't give a shit. Like, what is the point? Uh, Carmine tells Rossi in no uncertain terms to find the assailant and kill him. Duh, I could have told you that. Yeah. And Rossi begins preparing himself for the inevitable encounter. Yeah, which is made up of a montage of him practicing his boxing in the mirror and the killer practicing his martial arts in the loft. Yes. Number one, why didn't he just do that earlier? Yeah. Number two, why do we also have to get a scene where he goes to church to confess the sin that he is about to commit? I don't care Just about like this man. I don't care. Um, we then get a montage, like Gary said, of Matt training in the mirror for his boxing, the killer practicing his martial arts, Carmine looking pensive, Loretta looking disheveled, and Ruby watching over Nikki. When Loretta asks Ruby for money, Ruby gives her cab fare and directs her to go straight home. However, Loretta takes the money to her dealer, where she discovers his body hanging in an alley. Oh, Loretta, you, oh, come on, girl. You've got something to do now. Come on. Come on, Melanie. You've got to do some acting. The attacker, laying in wait, stabs Loretta in the, oh, stabs Loretta in the leg before Rossi arrives. And Melanie doesn't have to do shot anything. Of, shot of him looking stupid in the fucking alley. Right? Oh, like some sort of don't. Come on. It looks like, you know, uh, Sleepaway Camp. It does. The backlit does. one. Where you, yeah. You're not meant to be able to see who it is, but you can kind uh -huh. of see who it is. Uh, the fight ensues. Loretta goes for help as Matt takes several hits. Matt then taps into his boxing memories and be begins landing Bunches of punches against the killer, leaving the man's face bloody and swollen before winding up for the final belt that sends the guy crashing unconscious to the pavement. Wheeler and his partner show up, because everyone apparently knew that this was the alleyway to be in, mm -hmm. uh, confirming that the killer has now been killed. Loretta is brought back, forgot about her, to the scene by patrolman whom she told of the attack and embraces Rossi. Oh my saviour. Oh. Wheeler softens towards Rossi saying that he just might be a hero and <laughs> didn't take much. And letting him leave the area with Loretta and Loretta has been cured of her drug addiction. Yeah she's no longer a drug addict. Oh well just done. oh my god uh, I, I shouldn't have expected anything else i really shouldn't I, I i genuinely i don't know i genuinely thought that we may have got loretta saving herself Absolutely i genuinely but no of course not of course not she had nothing to do with it this guy came in and beat him up and killed him and that that's the end done mm -hmm. like where was this energy after poor ola ray had her fingers cut off yeah like, yeah, where was this energy? You attacked a man. You attacked a man. Like, oh, I know. This is too far now. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, no, I ain't having this. Yeah, you attacked his brother. Yeah. Oh, or his partner. A partner, whatever. Best friend. No, that's... that's oh, that yeah, of course. Far. You've gone too far now. You can kill my women, but don't kill the men. <laughs> um, Yeah, this 
film is what critics accuse slasher films of being. Mm -hmm. No strong or interesting females. um, Pure TNA, cheap TNA, no backstory, even for the main female character. Uh It's, I think it's just cheap writing. I just think it's lazy writing. I wasn't invested Way too much time was given to characters that I didn't care about. Mm-hmm. I thought the morals were all over the place. There was no clear idea of what they were going for. Like, no. do I like the cops? Do I not like the cops? Am I rooting for the mafia? Am I not rooting for the mafia? But within all of this, the women are just used as a commodity. Mm-hmm. They're just used to show some boobs and some some violence and this is exactly what slasher films were accused of yeah and i think i think it sticks with this one yeah it's very much a case of this was made uh because you know abel ferrera thought a bunch of straight men were gonna go and watch it just for the stripping scenes that's that's all it was made for yeah of course the fact that it's you know a slasher film which is a little bit tacked on um... this is a film that was made for straight men yeah and i didn't think it was I, di- I didn't think it was, which is why I chose it and why I bought it and why I was excited to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm disappointed because I'm not the target audience. And I should have been. I should have been the target audience. Yeah. When you have Melanie Griffith slaying like that, mm-hmm. I should have been your target audience. <laughs> make it make it a uh, queer cult classic. Yeah. I will give it one thing. Uh, well, I'll give it a couple of things, though. I do actually like the way a lot of it was shot. And I really liked its depiction of New York. I liked the way it looked. I mean, and the yeah. way New York looked in it. I do. and and But that's an aesthetic that I'm really into. I like mm-hmm. these kind of uh, films. Yeah. Yes. That's about it. That's it. it. I thought I had to say something nice. And I, 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 do you? I mean, Melanie Griffith did slay. Of course she did. I mean, if you just sort of put all her stripping, like no, I mean she she slayed during her stripping. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you if you cut that all together into one video, I would have been highly entertained. And yeah, and so would have uh, the men who got it on video when it came out back in the day. Yeah. So let's get to the awards. Biggest queen. Uh, I'll give it to Layla. Yeah, poor, I suppose. Yeah. I give it to Melanie Griffith herself Duh. for just giving it her best and trying to make something of this nothing role. Yeah. Biggest gasp. Um, I've got Loretta getting back with Matt. I was not expecting that. Mine was... The fat shaman. Yes, yeah. it was well, too. The body um, shaming comic relief or Billy D. Williams' filthy mouth. Yeah, I kind of realised now actually it, it perhaps should have gone to the fat shaming. Um, I think I just wrote that, I put that in my notes as soon as it happened because I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Um, best dialogue, I actually have no winner. I'm, there's nothing in this film that's worthy of best dialogue. I don't yeah. really, because it's not necessarily best dialogue. I mean, even in uh, most episodes, it's mostly a funny line of dialogue or a shit yeah, line of dialogue. Yeah, there but is. In this, it's just it's just really badly written. Yeah, I d- I'm not a huge fan of the dialogue. Um, I did think the way he said sometimes there aren't the words was kind of funny. Or uh, I did think I'll close your business if you don't keep your pussy off your bar. There we go. 
I did think I did think that was a bit funny because it was from Billy D. Williams. I only know him from Star Wars. I hate to typecast, but Batman. Oh, do I know him from Batman? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, that's well, not the biggest role. Well, it's not the biggest role in Star Wars. That's camp. Of course. The killer's karate moves. You have to win. That's camp. Yes. Yeah. Those twink martial arts. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, for ratings, <laughs> I give it two twinks performing martial arts out of ten. I gave it four painfully underdeveloped female characters out of ten. Feeling generous today? A little bit generous. I just, I like the aesthetic, so... I like the beat. I like the beat. I like the beat. beat. Uh, Masterpiece, trash to peach, trash or basic. It is misogynistic trash. Trash, trash, trash. And if you want to put yourself through it, it's available on DVD, video on demand, and Amazon Prime. And if you enjoy this, then you are going to love 10 to Midnight. Yes. And if you enjoy Twink killer movies set in New York with a bit more camp, I recommend The Fan, yeah. which yeah. we did a podcast episode on. Yeah, and, um, we did it on Tens of Midnight as well. Oh, of course we did. Yeah. We, we've done the full Twinks running wild in New York City, killing people whilst over top cops go after them. Well, where's uh, Pieces? Where's Pieces uh, set? That's probably set in New York. Do you think it's set in New York? We might have to do pieces. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If you, if you're a fan of Fear City. Oh, Boston. If you have some better Abel Ferrara films to recommend to us, then uh, we probably won't trust your opinion at this point. But still, we're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, and Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm done at Gaz ninety two on Letterboxd, Gaz ninety two five on Instagram, and Gas Cruise ninety two on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker eight two three on Instagram and Letterboxd. And if you are around in Manchester on the 17th and 18th of June, we are hosting Gas Power Festival. Um, festival passes are now halfway sold out, so get on it. Get on it whilst it's half left. Uh, we are Gas Power Fest across all social media. Get it while it's hot. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or you're just feeling generous, then rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like, follow on everything else. Next week's double episode week. Oh, bitch. If you like strong motherfucking women, you are in for a treat next week. Yes. Uh, balancing things out. We've had a film that hates women. Um, I'm going to film that loves women. <laughs> well, I mean... I mean, do, I mean, it celebrates it women. It celebrates women. And uh, a particular part of women. Yeah. Starting uh, two weeks... That uh, two weeks. Next, uh, next week's two episodes. On Tuesday is Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And on Friday, it's Satan's School for Girls, <laughs> yeah. original versus remake. Hopefully another film that celebrates women. I think so. I think I mean, so. I, we haven't seen it yet. Like, we haven't. But I, I'm hoping house. so. I, d- I don't feel like Shannon Doherty would sign up for a film that hates women. Well, we hope not. <laughs> Is it Doherty or Doherty? Uh, we'll find out next week. We'll find out next week. <laughs> we'll do a bit of research. Yes, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye.